Join me in prayer. Father, I thank you again for this day. I thank you for the songs that you've gifted us, the musicians that you've gifted us, the singers, and the ability to sing praises to you, even to know you. Lord, I pray, God, um, you would work in our hearts. You would work in my heart. You would help my attitude in this text, in this sermon, Lord, that we would submit to you, that we would seek to glorify you, that we would exalt your word, that we would exalt your name in all that we do. Lord, we're so fragile, but you are so strong. Let us fall on you. Let us, let us learn to, to, to submit and rely on you more. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 today. I am not starting a new book to preach through yet. And if you would, pray for me in that, and that I would make, that God would lead me to the book that he would have us to go through together. But today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. As you're turning there, I'm going to read Philippians 2, 9 through 11. It says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus comes on the scene And everything changed. Jesus comes on the scene and everything that the religious elites thought, or most things that many of them thought, turned out to be actually backwards. And it was shocking and yet so profound that here we are today. I heard one one guy talk about how at Christmas time, you know, the, everybody wants to change Christmas to the holiday season or whatever, Christmas trees, all these things that are going on. And he says, you know what, it's been 2,000 years, and he still makes people uncomfortable just his name. And it's true. I mean, why change it? It's been called that for 2,000 years or however long it is. Why change it? Because the name of Jesus is uncomfortable to people, And some of the principles that he brings forward, like what we're going to look at today, is the reason why. So in Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read verse 1 and 2. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to, came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them. And this is known as the Sermon on the Mount because he went up on the mountain and he preached. And it's hard to get a visual. It's hard to understand and visualize exactly what's going on here. But apparently there was a lot of people and he had to get up on a probably some sort of the side of a mountain where he could be heard. And his voice would be projected. And he opened his, he opened his mouth 
and taught them. And this sermon by Jesus is so profound. We forget. We've read the New Testament. We've read the, we've read the Sermon on the Mount. We've read the Beatitudes. And we forget just how absolutely incredible this was that God the Son had become flesh and came down to teach men and women. This was amazing. This is incredible. And and these, of course, are some of the most profound and well-known teachings of Jesus coming out of this sermon. It's a practical sermon, sermon teaching how a converted Christian should live. It's very practical. And to, to be completely honest, it's very hard. Some of these teachings are very hard. We're going to see that today. Matter of fact, I think the biggest reason that this has come to my mind, that God has put this on my heart, is because of me. So just know that this, is, this sermon is for me. Matter of fact, this week, well, I'll, I'll, I'll get to it. Um, but it's very practical on how we are to live. The Sermon on the Mount digs deep into Christian convictions and demonstrates that the Christian faith is not one of outward rules, but the matters of the heart. And that is what is going to be so eye-opening to the religious leaders of the day. That's what's going to just flip-flop everything that they understood or that they thought they understood. Now, we're going to look at Matthew 5.3, the next verse. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if you don't know, these are called the Beatitudes. And it's not because this is how you're supposed to be, even though that is how you're supposed to be. But that's not why they're called that. For years I heard them called the Beatitudes and didn't know why. It's actually from the Latin word beati. Is that how you say that? Beati, which means blessed. So that's the reason they're called the Beatitudes. It's just it's the blessed attitudes. In in other words, it's the blessedness of Christians. That's what it is. And and so, but you look at this when he opens his mouth and teaches them. Where does he start? He gets right to the meat of the issue. He doesn't waste any time going right to the heart, going right to everything that we need. He gets right to it. The meat of Christianity is found in this verse. The heart of how we should be, the heart of our heart, how our heart should be is found in this verse. Notice here, poor in spirit. What does that mean? It means humility. Humility. Dying to self. And that's what we're going to look at. This statement is directly opposed to everything the world is saying. And I'm going to say this. We talk a lot about our culture today is so bad, our culture this, our culture that. Here's a little news flash for you. This evil, wicked culture has always been there. There's different parts. There's different things that arise in wickedness at different points in history, but the wickedness has always been there. This goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, to the original sin. I want to be like God. 
Look at me. I want more. And that has been the man's sin ever since is a self-serving, self-gratifying nature. And it shows itself in different areas of sinful lifestyles. But So it's not just... The statement is not just opposed to everything we see now. It's opposed to everything that has always been since the fall of man. This statement is directly opposed to the self-indulging, self-gratifying nature of the human condition. And it is certainly opposed to the way that self-love has been taught in our culture. With this statement, and just think about the, 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 the situation and how profound this really was. With this statement, Jesus is replacing self-reliance with childlike God-reliance. That's against everything that man wants. Mankind, men and women, want to be self-reliant. No, Jesus says, you're not self-reliant. You have to have God. He's replacing self-confidence with submissive God-confidence. Nobody wants to submit to anybody. And he's replacing self-esteem with a precious awareness of our own incompetence. You won't find that in the self-help psychology section of the bookstore. And you won't find it if you Google up self-confidence or self-help or how do I become better. No. But Jesus comes along and he does everything diametrically opposed to the world. The exact opposite of everything they knew, he comes in and he's, a, he's opposite of it. So we're, to look further now, so we're, we're blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To, to, and now we're going to skip down to verse 38. He goes through all of the Beatitudes there. Um, but we're going to skip down and we're just going to deal with that one. But we're going to skip down to verse 38. And we're going to look at some really, really hard teachings, I think. I think they're hard. I have a difficult time with these. And I'm figuring if I have a difficult time, then there's at least somebody else in here that does too. With some of these sayings. So verse 38 He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. And I'm going to be willing to bet you are familiar with the saying, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It's been used a lot throughout history. But many times we miss, we actually misunderstand its purpose. This is part of the law. Right? This is part of the law of Moses that God gave to Moses to establish his people, to establish his nation of Israel. And he gives this law for a purpose. But the, the purpose is not necessarily what most people think. The main intent of Mosaic legislation was to control excesses. It was to keep you from going too far. Too far, it's guardrails, right? It's to keep you from going too far into this, too far into that. It's to keep you somewhat on the road. And that's the the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is no different. In this case, in that case, it was used to control anger, violence, 
and the desire for revenge. Okay? Our natural reaction to being wronged, I don't know about yours, but mine is to retaliate. And I'm going to tell you, my wife will attest to this, I have a devious mind when it comes to this. I think of ways of retaliation that should not be thought of. And this is what God has been dealing with me in this sermon. He's dealing with my heart. We should not be that way. But our natural reaction is to retaliate. But but the natural man is not just to get even, but to retaliate in excess. And so that's why this law was given. We've seen the eye for an eye used the exact opposite. We've seen it as a, as a use of, this is how I'm going to get even. You take my eye, I'm taking yours. But that was not the purpose. The purpose was actually to ensure that the principle of justice would come in and that justice was never excessive in its demands. That law came in because it was more like, you take my eye, I'm taking both of yours. You knock my tooth out, I'm knocking all of yours out. And how many of us can honestly say we don't have that same mentality? And that's what he brought this in for. He brought the law, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, to regulate revenge, to regulate justice. The punishment must fit the crime. Okay? Now, sometimes we go on the opposite side of that, and we're living in a culture right now that I believe does. They need to kind of get back to they're being too soft. But that's not the purpose of the law. The purpose was to limit that. The intent of the law was not to urge men to take an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. It was to keep the yearning for revenge in check and limit the retribution retribution to a fitting punishment. It also, when when that law came in, it takes the enforcement and judgment away from the individual. We are not the judge and the jury and the executioner. He established a law for that. He established individuals appointed judges who were responsible for law and order. So God gives us a principle there in the law that there is law and order. But here, man, Jesus shows up. And they, they, some of them probably understood this principle. Some of them probably used it wrong, just like we've seen it used wrong today. But Jesus shows up. And I've been teaching the youth on Wednesday nights about looking for specific things when, when studying the Bible in hermeneutics. And so what does he say? He says, you have heard that it was, um, wait a minute. lost my place oh he said he said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth but what does but then there's this word in there that says but but i tell you not to resist an evil person but whoever slaps you on your right cheek turn the other also so you have Jesus bringing in a contrast. That's one of the things I taught them to look for. You look for a contrast. So you have this eye for an eye thing that you guys know so well, but listen to this. And he's been doing this 
He's been doing this the last several verses. I'm not going to go into it, but he says, and we, we talk about it even when we witness on the streets. You've heard it said of old, you should not commit adultery. But I say this, anybody who looks with lust has committed adultery in your heart. You've heard you should not commit murder, but anybody who hates his brother, Jesus has taken this, he's taken it to a whole nother level. And that's the same thing he's doing here with an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You've heard an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but listen to this. And man, you talk about a whammo, ba-boom moment. He says, if somebody comes up and hits you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek. And we all know this. We've all heard this. But what does it mean? He's given us this contra- contrast. He's, Jesus is taking the law that was used to prevent excessive retaliation, and he's giving us a new principle. He's given us now a Christian principle. And he's going to demonstrate it in the rest of his life on the earth. Someone strikes you on the cheek, turn the other to him. This is a very practical way to demonstrate being poor in spirit. This is a very practical way to apply humility. And it's a very practical way to see if you have died to yourself. It's real easy to walk around thinking you have until somebody comes along and disrespects you. And then you find out where your heart really lies. I remember Ronnie talking about you want to find out if you have a servant's heart, see how you react when somebody treats you like a servant. And it's reality. How do you react? And so that's where we're at here. It's a practical way to see if you've died to yourself. This Sermon on the Mount is not a new law to replace the old one, okay? Don't don't start thinking that. We're we're no longer under law but under grace so we're given principles on how to live as christians and that's what that's what when we look at these things people want like a direct definitive answer how do i react how do i do this how do i do this because there's other things we're going to get into it it's not always the same every situation's different god is giving us principles jesus is giving us principles that we're to live by He's given us the Holy Spirit that's going to guide in that. And he's given us the word that we follow. And, there's, and so it's, not a long, it's no longer a law, but it's a grace. And this principle that we have, we should yearn for it. We should long to be able to do this. We should long to have the heart to turn the other cheek when somebody does us wrong, when somebody strikes us on one side. And so what is the principle of turning the other cheek? When we, when we look in context with the eye for an eye statement, what is the principle? It's this. We must rid ourselves of the spirit of retaliation. We must rid ourselves of the desire for revenge. How are you all doing on that? Because to be honest, I'm not doing very good. It's tough. Our immediate instinct, if somebody hits us, is to hit them back but harder. Or at least that's mine. I don't know about you. But that's my immediate instinct. And this, this may not, this is not a real common thing in our culture where somebody just randomly walks up and hits you. I don't know if it was common then. It probably was. 
pop you in the mouth and take your money bag or whatever. But the principle applies to many things that are very common in our culture. How are we to react if someone offends us in other ways? If they talk bad about us to others, what's our tendency? We'll go talk bad about them. Right? Except we'll spread it more. We'll find more people to talk about. What about if they they make some kind of terrible post about you on social media? Get the fingers going. Everybody's this way now. Hold on. You know, we get back at them somehow. Right? What if they take advantage of you in some way? What if they take advantage of your kindness or exploit you for money or time or possessions? What's our reaction? What is our heart going to react to that? What is our heart supposed to do? In that, Martin Lloyd Jones said this. He says, Our Lord desires to produce in us a spirit that does not take offense easily. And I'm going to tell you, that's so needed right now. We need to listen to that. We need to listen to the Lord as He teaches us to not be so easily defended. This includes when somebody is intending to be offensive. But we are easily offended even when no offense is intended. Aren't we? It happens all the time. I am wary of the easily offended, thin-skinned Christians we have become today. Too often, we're much more concerned with our rights than we are with our duties. We have got to get over this self-indulgent, self-gratifying, my rights, my myself. How do we avoid being offended when people mistreat us? How do we avoid being offended when people attempt to harm us or slander us? Man, slander us, is a, that's a big one today. There may not be a lot of physical harm in, in our culture. Laws have worked well in a lot of those things. We have laws protecting us. But there's still plenty of ways to hurt people. How, how do we avoid being offended like that? Well, it starts now. It starts ahead of time. It, you cannot handle it in the moment. I'm just going to tell you, the Holy Spirit can, but you need to prepare your hearts now for when it happens in the future. And it, it is on this principle, the principle that I think Jesus is teaching here, the principle that we learn from turn the other cheek is not toughness like you didn't hurt me, I'll show you. No, it's the principle of forgiveness. We must learn to forgive. And that's a principle that is repeated over and over in Scripture. Turn to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verse 31.
Here's the teaching of Paul, which is the teaching of Jesus. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. Turn to Luke chapter 23. Jesus was not just a man of profound words. There has never been one walk the earth even close to walking out what he actually said as Jesus. As a matter of fact, he's the only one that ever did it perfectly. And you want to see what he did? Chapter 23, verse 34. Wait, let me back up. No, I'll just read verse 34. But you know, you know what's Jesus is on the cross and he's about to die. They have beat him. They have flogged him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They mocked him with the purple robe, making fun of his kingship. Put him through things that most people would not survive. It was actually a miracle that he got this far. And in verse 34, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they do. Jesus lived out what he was saying. In Acts 7, let's turn there to Acts 7, because I think we see what it looks like when a Christian models their Lord. Acts chapter 7, verse 59 They're stoning Stephen to death. Back up to verse 58. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Forgiveness. Jesus did it to the most heinous act. Stephen did it to the most heinous act. Paul tells us all of the anger and the malice. Put it away. That's the principle behind turn the other cheek. Now, I have to clarify. What it doesn't mean is that we should be unconcerned about the defense of law and order. Okay, you can take this and you can go too far with it. And men have tried. Okay? To turn the other cheek does not mean we shouldn't be concerned whether there is order or chaos. There's always going to be... God's principles always demand order. Because chaos is what you have apart from an organized lawful system. You can't have anarchy and have order. It's not possible. And this teaching is that we shouldn't be concerned with ourselves or my personal honor, but we should be concerned with the honor of Christ. Okay? It also does not mean that no matter what, if someone hits you, you should just let them do it again. Okay? 
It's a forgiveness principle. But if a drunk man comes along and he's out of his head and he starts hitting you, he needs to be restrained. Okay? There's times when you, the, the principle is to restrain them. It's a matter of the heart. Okay? That's when I say it's not another law. It's not like every time somebody hits you, you just turn the other cheek. You may need to duck. I mean, the heart is the matter, but retaliation is what he's going against. It's a forgiveness. It's a, it's a love for the person that is your enemy. And that has never been taught before Christ, and to be quite honest, it's never been taught apart from Christ. You won't find that in Islam. You won't find that in Buddhism. You won't find it in Hinduism. It's Christ that teaches these principles. It also does not mean that we shouldn't step in for the weak and unprotected. The scriptures would actually teach the exact opposite of that. It says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. It's, a self, it's the self-indulgence that we're trying to get out. Helping other people in need is not self-indulgence. That's not self-gratification. That's stepping in for somebody who needs help, and there is a difference. So let's, let's remember that. So that's the eye for an eye. We're going to go on. We're going to look at the next statement of Christ. In Matthew 5, verse 40, he says, If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic... Let him have your cloak as well. I always thought this was very strange. You have to understand some historical context of what's going on here. In that day and time, people were extremely poor. Most people. Um, Poverty was, was prevalent. And debts had to be paid, and it was legal under Jewish law to sue for the undergarment. That would be the tunic. But it was actually illegal. A man was guaranteed to keep his outer garment. Why would that be? Well, the outer garment was basically a necessity for survival. If you sued a man for his tunic and his outer garment, that may be the only clothes he has. And he could freeze to death. He could die. I mean, that was it. Times were tough. We don't understand this. We have more than one outer garment, most of us, right? If you take a man's only coat and he doesn't have any clothes, he was going to be exposed. So there was a law in place to guarantee the right of your coat. You didn't have to worry about losing that. No matter what kind of debt you had, you might have to give the guy the shirt off your back, but you didn't have to give him your coat. And so understanding that that mentality, this, this idea that I have this legal right that no matter what, you can't take my coat. What does Jesus say? If he sues you for your shirt, give him your coat also. What is he doing here? He's shaking it up again. He's going in the opposite. We have this, this amazing principle that's being applied here, and that is it's the same principle that you have with turn the other cheek, only now he's applying it to your legal rights. Sure, sure, he can take, you have the right to keep your coat, but I'm going to tell you to give it to him also. And they say the Bible's outdated. 
do we need some instruction on legal rights today and how to deal with them as Christians? I would say we do. In our sue-happy culture that we live in, are there Christians that need to hear this? Absolutely. And, and it, just dealing with rights, I, I want to make a point here. Just because you have the right to do something does not mean you should do it. All right, I, I have seen several videos. It, it, I guess it's become somewhat vogue to, for, or maybe people are making money because they're getting so many hits on TikTok or something. I don't know, but I, for some reason I've seen a lot of videos how these guys will get pulled over by cops and then provoke them to anger because they have a right to do so. They're legal, they know their legal rights and they push every limit they can and they get this cop mad and he get, he loses it and somehow they probably wind up suing him and getting him fired or getting him reprimanded or whatever goes on. Have y'all seen these? It infuriates me. You talk about abusing your rights. And so what they do is they pull over and, and they'll roll down their window just a crack. And the cop will be like, could you roll your window down a little more? Nope. Am I being detained? Am I being detained? And they're just absolutely obnoxious. And for what? Well, I have the legal right to do so. Yes, you do. Yep. And you are provoking a man who's out here. And I don't know. Some of them are bad. Some of them lose their mind and break their window. Should they do that? Absolutely not. Of course not. But why provoke them? Why do that? Because I have the right? Just because you have the right doesn't mean you should do it. I saw one where this guy was cussing out a cop because he has the legal right to do that. What do what did, what did he gain? What, did, what happens of that? Well, I can tell you what, what one thing that happens is a lot of people don't want to become cops anymore. And when you need one, they're not going to be there. And it's not just that. It's all kinds of things. I have the right to say this. I have the right to say that. I can say whatever I want to. Yeah, you can. Just because you have the legal right doesn't mean it's smart. And it definitely doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean it's okay. And if you're a Christian, you should consider what Christ would want you to do over what your legal right is. They're within their rights. Jesus says this about your rights. You're absolutely legally entitled to your cloak. 100% law legally. They can't take it from you. But he says this, if someone goes to the link to sue you for your inner garment, give them your cloak also. Guess what? You forfeit your own rights for the purpose of Christ-likeness, for the purpose of godliness. Did they have the right to kill Jesus? Absolutely not. But he forfeited his rights on behalf of us. And he's teaching us to do the same here. You go the extra effort to pay your debt to that person. If you can pay off your debt to that person by giving him your cloak, give him your cloak. And this teaches us another principle as well. Where does our provisions come from? Not from the cloak. Who's going to protect us if it's cold? Jesus. 
Our provisions come from Christ. If somebody's coming after our stuff, give it to them. That's what he's saying. I will provide. That's not your cloak anyway. It's mine. But again, again, this doesn't remove the law and order from our lives. This does not mean that there's never a time when we would use the law for our defense and for our, on our behalf. Paul used the law, right? You remember when he was about to be flogged? And he said, wait, 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 hey, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. And they're, they're, they're amazed. They're like, oh, no, we, we just about messed up. Because if they would have flogged him, they didn't have the right to flog a Roman citizen. Well, he avoided being flogged by using the law. There's nothing wrong with that. Jesus, Jesus also said to bring sins. If, if, somebody is, if a Christian is sinning, bring it to their attention. Don't just let it go. If somebody does you wrong, bring it to their attention. But what are we talking about? It's always the heart. I'll tell you this. If you're in anger at your brother for sinning against you, then that's probably not the time to go approach them about that sin. Why? Well, Jesus has another principle that he taught. Remember the, the beam out of your own eye so you can see to remove the speck? First, remove the beam. He doesn't say don't ever go remove the speck from your brother's eye, but you've got to get the beam out of your own eye so you can see it. So if you're angry and in a retaliation mode, that's not the time. Don't do that. Go to Christ with it. Give it to God. Ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes, to remove the beam. And then, so there's principles here that we're trying to learn. We are to care about justice and about law and order, but we're learning to let our own rights and feelings die for the ultimate glory of God. So you don't get to go around and take the rights of others away in these principles. That's their job. God, Jesus gives it to you personally. You're to die to self. You're not to convince others to die on your behalf, right? And then we got, we're going to look at one more, verse 41. And if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And again, historical context. This was a custom. It was very common in that ancient world. If a country or government, especially if they were in control of another area, like in this case we had the Roman, the Romans were in control of Judea, right, of Israel. They were, in, they were in control. That government had them suppressed, and they were in control. And they had the right to commandeer a man if they needed to move large amounts of cargo or baggage or whatever, maybe it was for a soldier. Soldiers would had the right to commandeer this man to carry my gear, and they would move it for a mile. Then that was the law. They had a right to move to use them for a mile, and then they would get somebody else to move it for the next mile. And don't you think the Jews hated this? Would you like it? You're on your way to work and, whoa, you, come here, Boyd. You got my pack. You're with me for a mile. Because not only do you have to carry it a mile, then you have to move a mile back, right? That's no short distance. When you have things to do, you have places to go, you have work to, to complete as well, and then they're going to tax you for the work that you, 
didn't get done because you're carrying that. I mean, they hated it. You know they did. I would have hated it. We would have despised it. I'm going along and they can come make me carry their bag for a mile. And you know they sat around and talked about how wicked it was and how evil it was. And man, when the Messiah comes, they'll be carrying all our bags. Don't you think that's how they thought? And man, the Messiah shows up. And he says, nope, it's not going to be that way. He asks you to go a mile. You're going to go two. That's what you do. This is where the saying, go the extra mile, comes from. It means go above and beyond. What good could come out of that? And I think so. I think Jesus, again, in this passage, he's teaching us, he's concerned with our natural resentment at the demands of government, at the demands of individuals, at the demands of people who are superior in position to us for whatever reason, a boss, a commander. Is it demeaning? Yes. Is it unfair? Yeah, I think so. What are we to do? Go the extra mile. It means do more than required even of those who are spitefully using you, even to those or for those who are spitefully using you. And I'm just going to tell you, Christians, we don't have soldiers walking around making us carry their stuff for a mile and we're going to go an extra mile. But we all have people in our lives that require us of things and disrespect us and demand things. And I think we get the principle here of what to do. I think we're to go the extra mile. We're to do more than than is required of us. If you have a job, you are to do more than than what is required at your job. We have many people who have their own businesses in here. And I'm going to tell you, God will bless your efforts if you show up on a job and you do things that you're not getting paid for. A little extra here and a little extra there. Why? Because Christ taught it to us that way. Well, but I don't, I, I have the right, I have a contract. Do the extra things. At school, young people, no matter what your age, go the extra mile. You have a teacher. Maybe you have a teacher that's not just the most respectful to you. I had a few of those. Go the extra mile to do good in their class, to do right by them, to help them. At home, husbands, wives, can you do more to please your spouse? This is a very hard thing to preach when your wife's sitting in here. Because I know I can. I know I can. What about at Walmart? Man, I saw a, I saw a, just a little blurb, I don't know what you'd call it, about shopping carts the other day. Have you guys seen that? 
where the shopping cart is the ultimate test of whether people can self-govern. It's a great illustration. It's not that hard to put it up. It's good for everybody if you put it where it's supposed to go, but yet you go to Walmart and they're everywhere except where they're supposed to be. And they'll dent your car and they'll get broken and when every time I grab one, the wheel's broken on it and it you know, does the old wobble and noise and drives me crazy. If people would just put them up, that stuff wouldn't happen, but yet they don't. And I'm telling you, don't be that guy. Put your cart where it's supposed to be and grab another one on the way, right? You see trash on the ground. Don't badmouth the janitor because they never pick up the trash. Pick up the trash. Go the extra mile. And we're talking small things. What Jesus is saying is much larger than most of the things we would ever deal with. But he says, go the extra mile. If they demand of you a mile, go two. Go double what you're required. And there's much more. This could be... Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a book that's that thick on just the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, we're just scratching the surface of the depth of the teachings of Christ. It's incredible what one verse, one sentence out of the mouth of our Lord can do to our worldview. He completely flipped the Pharisees' worldview upside down with, Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's incredible. But the bottom line is this, that in order to be blessed, you have to die to yourself. You have to subside your own rights, desires, feelings, and pour yourself into the kingdom of God. And here's the thing. What, could, what good could come out of all of this? What good could come out of turning the other cheek? What good could come out of going that extra mile with that soldier? He's been suppressing us ever since they showed up. He was beating my friend yesterday. I saw him. Now he's making me carry this. What good could come out of that? What good could come out of shackling, allowing myself to be shackled into prison? Ask the jailer that did the shackling. He was saved that night. He is in heaven right now under the same grace that we sat under. Because Paul followed these principles. Is it possible that people will see, I I, I guarantee you this, this is one thing that is absolutely a fact. If you follow these principles, you will be set apart from the world. You will be different. You will be noticeably different. And when that happens, is it possible that that cop who's being a jerk could be saved? Is it possible that you have a a submissive tone and you have a care for him because he's a soul as well? Somebody who's suing you for whatever reason, is it possible that they could see a difference in the way that they've treated you with business and the way that they've treated everybody or the way that you've treated them and the way that everybody else has treated them? Yeah. That, That... should be our goal because in those things in turning the other cheek in giving them your cloak also and in going the extra mile we are glorifying Jesus because that's what he did and we are exposing them to the grace of God which has the power of salvation to them 
The same grace that saved us can save them, and we can point them to that grace through simply obeying our Lord in this. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you, God. I, I pray, Lord, for my heart. I thank you, God, that you have prevented me from acting the way that I've wanted to so many times, but I ask you, God, to change the way that I want to react that I would want to react like Jesus, that my heart would be pure and I would have a love for the people who who disrespect me, who use me, anything that happens that is an offense to me, God, that I would love them, that you could save them, that I would desire to see them saved. Father, I pray that for each one here. I pray who, anybody here that's struggling with this same thing, that you would soften their heart and give them a desire for you, a desire for your love. And I also pray, God, that if there's any here who have been the other side of that, if there's any here who have disrespected or used people, God, that you would grant them repentance and that we would all find our grace in Christ that you would help us to move forward in our lives, that we would glorify him. In Jesus' name, amen.